listening to the Battle Ready podcast, uh, we kind of just naturally rolled into this one. Uh, we walked in, we were talking, we had some tea. Austin's back from a few days of being bedridden. We're glad he survived. Brooke is in the studio here with us. The B R O O K. Well, Austin, not many people recover from typhoid fever, so we're glad you're here. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so heavy. No, um, it's so crazy though, because we were talking and we we're like, you know, we don't, never would I have ever remembered like when my friends were last sick. But I kind of remember like the last time everyone was sick because we always talk about like, oh, do you have COVID? Oh, were you sick? <laughs> oh, do you have to, you know, do you have to, the, to, to quarantine? But anyways, this is an episode where we are talking about writing. We're talking about the new book, You're in Process of Writing. We talk about hustle. We talk about rest. We talk about a lot of things. So we should just get right on in it. Before we start, there's a lot of things you can do to kind of be a part of the podcast. We release usually every Friday during the summers. It's summer hours. We kind of release once or twice a month and we're getting back in September. You're almost done with your book, your almost. new book. So hopefully, and, and we will, we'll be more regular once come September and I'm really excited. So check out this episode. We are really happy you are here. Why do you think Christians have become so obsessed with rest? Because Not even just Christians, just people in general. I think some of it is because most people hate their work. Because they 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 think their life is they think their work is meaningless, but actually it's their life that is meaningless, mm. and their work is just an extension of their life. Mm. When your life is meaningful, it's strange. Even the most basic job feels meaningful. Mm. And How do you find meaning in the meaningless or in the mundane? Is this what we should be doing? We we're, we're, we should be recording this. Where are we are recording it? Yeah, we are absolutely recording this. <laughs> yeah, we're already recording. We just didn't do an intro. That's sneaky. <laughs> sneaky. I'm going to file a petition complaint. <laughs> so how do we find the meaningful in the mundane? Uh, well, I, I'm, a huge part of it is knowing that your life has purpose, knowing what that purpose is, that your life has intention. And, you know, so I look back on my life and I go, I mean, there was times I was working construction. I was working as a carpenter. I worked as a librarian. I dug ditches. And you could say that that work quote, isn't meaningful. Dug ditches like you were burying people? <laughs> no, dug ditches like we were building buildings. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> that would have been interesting, though. I just watched Blackbird on Apple TV. You know? It's <laughs> going, very dark. Going dark places, yeah. Dark place. And and there were times where I came to a place where I thought, this isn't what I need to be doing in my life, and I just quite went did something else. Hmm. Yeah, I did that one time when I was working landscaping. Okay. And um, and I remember thinking to myself, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, I don't care how much you rest, you're always going to be exhausted. Mm. But uh, but I've worked a lot of jobs where I go, this job isn't my intention. It's not my purpose in life, but it, it is actually creating the economic base for me to do the things I feel called to do. And so sometimes you work really hard so that you can also finance the things you want to build. Yeah. And that actually has real meaning when your life has something that you're trying to build, then you're investing in yourself. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting that, one, we shouldn't ignore the fact that, quote, the rest movement in Christianity is happening at the same time where the um, I'm not going back to work movement in non-Christianity. Because a lot of times we think that what we're doing is spiritual and it's disconnected from what's going on in culture. Mm. And we need to realize, We've just added Bible verses to a psychological phenomenon in American hmm. society or a global Western society right. where people just don't want to go back to work. They, um, you, you know, and so now 
you have this dynamic where during the pandemic, we were told not to go to work. We were told not to leave our houses. At first, we protested. But if you look at even psychological experimentation, what we felt was stolen from us, we've now become complacent and compliant. Now we want that. Hmm. And so at first we were, you know, going, wait a minute, what do you mean I can't go to work? What do you mean I can't go outside? What do you mean I have to stay at home? What do you mean that I can't do anything? And now we've actually been conditioned to want that. Hmm. Now we're sort of, wait, 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 wait a minute, what do you mean I have to go back to work? What do you mean I have to have a job? What do you mean you're not gonna pay my bills? What do you mean I have to leave the house? And it, we've actually had a huge psychological shift in our culture. Yeah. And so we, we need to at least be aware that what Christian leaders are saying is not disconnected from what's happening in secular society. Hmm. We're just adding a biblical framework for it. So is, but that's not bad. So we're meant to look at things through a filter of our faith, right? Yeah, no, it's just that when we go, oh, we're having a spiritual epiphany. Uh, I'm going, no, you're actually not having a spiritual epiphany. Yeah. You're having a psychological trauma that you're now trying to add verses to so that it can feel justified, yeah, yeah, feel yeah. healthy. Yeah. And I can tell you, you can have seven days off a week and you will not get mentally healthy. Hmm. And in fact, that's one of the things to me the pandemic proved. We had less responsibility, less pressure, and more mental, uh, less mental health, more mental uh, dysfunction, more depression, more um, suicidal inclinations, mm. uh, uh, more anxiety, more stress. So what the pandemic proved is if you remove responsibility, you do not remove stress. Hmm. And so we have to basically look at and go, okay, wait a minute. If all that rest doesn't make me feel like I've rested, what's missing? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh I, oh, I just watched this clip. This kid in high school mm -hmm. um, has started a, um, a donut company. Okay. And he works in a donut company something like 60 hours a week while making great grades in high school. And so he was being interviewed and they said, oh, There's wait no a way. minute. Well, how do you do this? Okay. And he said, I get up at four. He explains, he goes up from four to like 7.30. He okay. works on all the donuts. Then he goes to school, does all his homework during the lunch and then leaves school early and then goes to his restaurant, sells donuts all through the evening Okay. and stays up late. And they're, um, they were just shocked. And then they said, well, how much did you make your opening week? They thought he made $10,000. He goes, no, no, I sold 10,000 donuts my first week. Oh, wow. At 550, I made $55,000 in my first week. Oh, wow. And then one of the entrepreneurs said, well, wait a minute. When do, when do you have time for fun? Yeah. And the kid smiled. He goes, this is fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, that's, but that's like a unique mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a mindset shift. I think people get, I think people, a lot of people feel trapped inside of the world of work that they have to do. Yeah. Or that they've fallen into. Right. And so I think there's very few people who would go, uh, maybe there's a lot of people, but I think maybe, I think it, there's very few public stories of people going, man, I just love what I do. Man, this is, I get to work a hundred hours a week and this is just the best thing ever. <laughs> you know, people are demanding more time with, I, I get it. They want a better work-life balance. That's what I keep hearing from friends. I need a better work-life balance. I need a better work-life balance. And I'm like, you work for a huge corporate company. That isn't going to happen. 
you know, mm -hmm. and if, but then it's the juxtaposition of if you work for a big corporate company, it's probably not going to happen. And if you start a company, it's definitely not going to happen because <laughs> you will have no work and you have no life. if You don't work really hard to build the business. Right. Yeah. Let me be clear. If you want to work less, don't start your own business. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. It, it it's, an I didn't think that's what you're saying. I'm saying, I think it's ironic that we're yeah. kind of in this, it feels like we're regrowing the middle class again. Yeah. Because we don't have a middle class anymore. Yeah. And we've we've been moving toward economic um, bipolarization for you know in the last four decades, where the middle class is gone, and now you have the poor and the rich. Right. People are getting poor and they're getting richer. And no, what, what what I'm saying is that there's an illusion that says I work for someone else, and that's why I hate my life. Hmm. If I could just work for myself, then I would have more free time. Hmm. And the the reality is no. If you work for yourself, you're going to have quote. Um, 100% free time, and that free time will be used for working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you work twice as much if you own your own company. You work twice as much right. if you're the one starting something from scratch. Right. When you're joining something, a lot of the work has been done. Mm. And, and the work that is most stressful, most consuming, and most um, anxiety-inducing has been done for you. Right. And the question, though, is are you bringing any meaning to your life, any meaning to your work? Hmm. Your, your work cannot give you meaning. You have to bring meaning to your work. What do you mean by that? You have to decide. How does one bring meaning to their mundane work? Well, I, well that's the whole point is that it's only mundane because you're making it mundane. And I went, no, I, but no, that's not true. Well, like, I went and got coffee this morning, and you see a dramatic difference even with the people who are working there. Some of them, they just bring joy and they're present and they're seem to, they seem to be having the time of your life of their life making a great cappuccino and serving you the other ones seem like they're just going through the motions and they're getting paid and it's their job and you can actually see in the same space where some people are bringing meaning to the work and some of them their work is meaningless and okay. and there are some cultures where no matter what the employees are doing they, there's a deep sense of fulfillment and meaning in those jobs hmm. And I would say one of those companies actually is In-N-Out. I mean, I was just listening to this interview with the, you know, the president of In-N-Out Burger, and I just thought, wow, she's working so intentionally to create a culture where everyone is valued, everyone's family, where they're enjoying their job, where they have real meaning, and the culture does matter, mm. you know. And uh, and it's true even in churches. I mean, you can work for a church, and your life can actually be miserable, and you don't have any meaning. And going, wait a minute, yeah, you're working at the epicenter at at the church, and your life is meaningless. Yes, and it can be as meaningless working at the church as it does working at UPS or whatever. Right, and or it can be as meaningful. It's really up to you. Hmm. I've experienced both. Okay, you know, I've had times in my life where I've wondered what I'm if what I'm doing actually matters, if it has any meaning, but it's really something going on inside of me. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. But where do you want to go from here? I go, you know, speaking of work. Yeah. What are you doing for work lately? <laughs> what am I doing for work lately? Yeah. I, um, I'm in the middle of writing my next book. And um, I just, uh, I'm right in the mix of chapters five and six. And it really does apply to even what we're talking about here. Okay. Uh, I guess I can say that title of one of my chapters maybe not oh yeah way. you can say the title of one of your chapters yeah definitely not the title of the book no no um well this chapter is you are your own ceiling wow which really applies to a lot of this and 
it's really about a, a, a mental construct that if you believe that other people have the power to create the ceiling on your life, then they will. Hmm. And when you finally realize that while other people, other circumstances, outside conditions can give you the material for your ceiling, you're the one who builds your own ceiling. And when you take responsibility for your life and you take responsibility for your capacity, your potential, you begin to remove the ceiling. And, uh, and, um, and I just, I was really having a great time writing this, just going back, remembering the times in my life where I blamed other people for my life and blamed other, other, I blamed God, blamed my mom, blamed the world growing up for what I was going through inside. And I could have allowed all those external circumstances to become the ceiling on my life. And my life ceiling was so low, hmm. I couldn't even stand up. Right. And, and, and then just going through my mind and processing through how my mind shift happened and how I began taking responsibility for um, my life, my future, my capacity, my potential, um, and how that changed everything for me. It's kind of a, it was a fun chapter to work on. Say the chapter title again. You are your own ceiling. So when your ceiling was so low, you couldn't stand up. Was that your fault? It was my responsibility. So what you're saying is it doesn't so matter. It doesn't so much matter whose fault it is. That's right. I even write who's that in gonna, the book. Okay. Who's, who's going to actually increase your ceiling yeah, to I yourself, said, right? Yeah. I think one of the things I wrote is this may be the most unfair thing I will tell you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's your fault. It, it is your responsibility. Right. So interesting. Yeah. It's not your fault that you're born to abusive parents. It's, you know, it's not your fault that you're born into poverty. It's not your fault uh, that um, maybe, you know, things happened when you were young. Those things are not your fault. But whatever happened to you, it's your responsibility to respond to all that in a way where it doesn't become the prison that you live in all your life. Hmm. So interesting. I feel like that we were living that generation of people who, you know, would rather live on the internet mm -hmm. than live trying to build something, you know, with other people. Yeah. But a part of it, that is kind of something building with other people. I find it so fascinating that we have these like, these, these online hubs where people are getting together and developing new content and new companies and and you can find online virtual assistants and you can find online virtual pretty much anything <laughs> in this like day and age and so you know to 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 in if you want to leave your home there's there's one advantage and if you don't there's another advantage <laughs> it feels like we're kind of at this this cross this 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 like i guess i don't know cross i read a crossroads quote truly to figure out who's going to be never leaving their home and who will be. <laughs> but I would say that like, I, I can't imagine, you know, working from home, this kind of new reality or, or, or semi reality that we live in, it just can't be the healthiest version of ourselves. And living at the office is, is the other unhealthy version of our, of, of our self as like a human culture. How do we find that, that, that mix, the healthy mix? How do you really do find that work-life balance where you're able to, because you know, you have this incredible ability, like you could probably never work for anyone. Pretty much never have. <laughs> and every time you have, it didn't go so well. No. Yeah. In fact, one of my friends, Paulo, last week said, um, I don't think you could ever work for someone. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm, I don't know where that came from. And, and then he, um, he started giving me examples. He goes, you know, like Steve Jobs, he could, he, no, he goes, no, Bill Gates, he could work for someone. 
Yeah. He'd be a great CEO. Then who's the Walton guy? Um, Walton? Uh, the other billionaire from- Oh, Steve Jobs. No, the from the Midwest, the older guy. Um, oh, Warren Buffett. Yeah, he goes, Warren Buffett, like he could work for someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be a great CEO. He goes, Elon Musk, he couldn't work for anyone. <laughs> no. And he goes, I think you're more like that. I don't think you could ever work for anyone. And I don't know if it was a compliment or it was, yeah, yeah. A, yeah. you know, a, a, an insult. But, and I said, no, I have worked for people. It, it didn't work well for them. Right. You, you know, and. Uh, or you. Or, or me, mostly, because I just became bored yeah. and unsatisfied. And I knew I needed to go do something else. Uh, but I never felt it was someone else's responsibility to create my life, to create my future. And, and by the way, I think that's part of the, when you're asking like, what does a person do? First of all, you need to step back and ask yourself, what's the story you're telling yourself? Who's responsible for your life? Who's the one keeping you from living the life you want? Right. And if it's, this is a, like a, a subtle, but really important nuance. If you think it's big business that's keeping you from living the life you want, mm -hmm. then you're going to actually give government more power hmm. because governments, you know, the Godzilla, and only Godzilla can kill King Kong, or it's King Kong, only one can kill no, Godzilla. That metaphor makes so much sense. It's a good metaphor because in the last lousy movie, they they actually befriended no King, King Kong to kill Godzilla. <laughs> but the whole point is that you'll actually relinquish your power to whoever you think can solve the problem hmm. rather than taking your power and going, whatever's happening in government, whatever's happening economic was are happening in the world around me, um, I'm still going to use everything I have to create the life that I imagine, the life that I yeah. want to live. The, and uh, and the more you you take the more you take responsibility, the more you actually take your power. Hmm. The more you abdicate responsibility, the more you actually abdicate your power. Hmm. And so you if you feel powerless, it's because you have abdicated responsibility. Yeah. And if you abdicate responsibility, don't act like you have your power taken from you. You gave it up. You know, and so for me, I've never, even when I've been, quote, unhappy or I've had times in my life that were just really difficult, in the end, the only solution I ever came to is I have to make choices hmm. that change my life. Hmm. I have to make choices that change the circumstance. I have to make choices that change the situation. It's on me. And, and probably my, you know, if I have regrets, it's, Took me too long sometimes to make the courageous choices right. that I needed to make for my own life. Right. Yeah. When you write it, and you you're necessarily you're not necessarily basing it around like the scriptures. Do you, do you get anxious about that? Like what people will say? Because you know, there's like oh, I already know what they're gonna say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it, what's crazy is that I, with my other books, I feel like um, they're so out of my own relationship with Jesus and my own faith. But I always get criticized. People go, well, you know, where's the gospel in this? I'm going, what? Well, what? This is a book. It's it's not, you know, the gospel of John. And yeah. And I think there's just some people that if they're so linear and so concrete, yeah, that if yeah. if you if the book doesn't say exactly what they've heard yeah. their pastor say, you know, yeah. they think it's the book is heretical. And I'm going, no, this book is not the Bible. This right. book is my thoughts, my ideas, my perspectives on life, on being human. And, and having and, a faith. And having a faith, yeah, and living it out. Yeah, so if you, were to, if you were to summarize what I guess this next 
Do you feel like it's a new chapter or do you think it's just like dipping your feet into the mainstream? It, it's something I've wanted to do for years and years and years and years. Okay. And, um, and I, I, I probably, because I've always had publishers just end up always negotiating back to a book that they feel like, oh no, th this is better for the Christian audience. Yeah, yeah, because those are just let's lay out what you just said. <laughs> what what you don't realize for every person who's like it needs more Jesus in the book or it needs more scripture in the book is that publishers put the Bible in it so that they manipulate you as a as a buyer, as a reader. Going if there's more Bible in it, they'll buy it because they're Christians and Christians just buy things with the scriptures in it, which is really bad. I I really and you have always is that bad to say? No, I think. So. It's, it's just real. It's real, right? Yeah. Confirm or deny what I just said is true. It's not just Bible. It's just, you have to say the things that people already believe so that they'll yeah. buy the book. Yeah. yeah. You, have to, you have to say a few things to make sure that if they, when they read it, they believe it or you'll consider you a heretic or they just, <laughs> or they won't. It's, 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 it's my, it's my one, it's one of my few, you know, cynical things with publishing in the Christian world is that they know who they're selling to and they 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 manipulate like, a, like any marketer or anyone selling a product. They manipulate the product to make it feel like you've already you've already read this book, so it feels comfortable. It feels yeah. unique to you, or it feels um, not unique to you, but feels um, something that you've almost read before. And familiar so, to familiar, you. and will yeah. encourage you in your faith versus challenging your thinking and really taking you outside the box. So you know, and that's been a, a, a struggle of yours, right? Yeah. So all the ideas of that that are really more pressing borders and pushing thought um they just have never made it across the the table to finally getting published because why uh well because you know publishers have a job and their job is to sell books right and um and so every book i write is is a book i want to write okay i just i just haven't written the books that i also want to write that they don't want to publish but the great thing is that this, wide awake <laughs> no i i did that exactly how they wanted to do it Right, exactly That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You didn't want to write that one. That, no, I, I, I wanted to write it, and then they said, no, we need to put a lot of Bible verse in it. So I just started dumping all these Bible stories in it with all the text, and I'm just going to tell the story the way it really is. And I, I was so frustrated, I just dumped Bible in it everywhere, and I felt it was the clunkiest thing I've ever done in my life. I didn't, yeah. I didn't refine it. I didn't go through my own personal editing process. I just sent it. And I got a response. This is what we've been looking for. Huh. This is what we've been asking you for all these years. Huh. And I actually sent to them thinking they're going to say, this is not going to work. This is yeah. not, you know, what we need. And they were so happy. And I, and so I went ahead. So how do you not give up in those moments where you're frustrated? Well, I relented because, you know, you don't want to be so arrogant that you can't listen. So I thought to myself, maybe I'm just 100% wrong. Maybe I need to stop trying to write things that feel more like literature and and just let this book come out there that feels like an expanded Bible study. But what made you think you were 100% wrong, not like 20% wrong? Well, because I'd written all these other books that I felt like were really unique, and they would almost never sell in the red states and only sell in the blue states. They, the Christian bookstores would not carry my books. Uh, it's the, interesting. The Baptist bookstore, Lifeway, yeah. who would not carry my books. Uh, Does uh, Lifeway still exist? No, they don't anymore, I think. But I'm still writing. And, <laughs> and, uh, trying to be a positive podcast <laughs> no, today. You know, I'm just saying that uh, yeah. they kept trying to figure out how do they take my message 
and get it accepted in mainstream Christianity. And I just kept telling him, I don't think I can write something that will be accepted in mainstream Christianity. I, I'm trying yeah. to uh, to work with you. So Wide Awake, even though I thought it had some of those interesting, it has a beautiful process. And so my publisher was just trying to find the way to break that barrier. Yeah. And so they thought Wide Awake would be it. And it was ironically my um, my lowest selling book. Interesting. And so what ended up happening was uh, the people who read me wasn't written in the style that they were used to. That was a more, um, um, you know, poetic literature-based approach toward writing. And and then the, the mainstream, more conservative Christians were not going to read my books anyway. Right. So no matter how much I wrote it in yeah. that genre, it just yeah. wasn't going to be a breakthrough. Yeah. And, you know, so I think some of it is part of the writing process is learning to find your voice and believing that your voice will find its right audience. Hmm. And I accepted a long time ago that um, my voice wasn't really a general market voice. You know, it isn't the voice that's going to sell maybe to 40 million people or something like that. Hmm. Um, but my voice is a very niche voice, and there are people who desperately need me to write and bring clarity to their own thoughts and ideas and internal uh, narrative. Right. And I love doing that. So what inspired you to take this next? So you, you talked about having a book that is uh, more widely available for people in every space, in the business market, mm -hmm. and, in, you know, and, and, and also a part of you know, bringing something a new, a new tone to your already mm -hmm. like, super committed you know, reading audience that you have now. Mm -hmm. Do you feel excited about the new venture? Do you feel, is it intimidating at all? Is it, is it, is it, fr is it frustrating at times? Like, how... How has that process been? Because you're chap five chapters in? Uh, yeah. What's intimidating yeah. was writing The Genius of Jesus. Okay. Because I'm writing about Jesus. Okay. That was terrifying. Yeah. To write anything about Jesus and getting that wrong is just for me really terrifying. Right. Because I, you know, I mean, I, I have such a deep love and reverence for the person of Jesus, and I would never want to paint a picture of Jesus that wasn't honoring and appropriate and accurate. So that was for me really intimidating. Okay. So and this, about this one, this one isn't intimidating. This one is, um, I'm just telling you what I've learned in yeah. 64 years. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm Mark Twain right now okay. you know? and yeah. uh, just going, yeah, let me tell you what happened when I tried to cross that river, you know, or, yeah. you know, and let me tell you what I learned when I tried to walk without shoes for five miles. Or it's really a practical wisdom book, okay. And um, and I'm I'm having a lot of fun, and it's actually answering the number one question I get, yeah, everywhere I speak. That's what actually motivated this book. Every interview I do, someone says to me. What would you say to your 25-year-old self? Or what would you say to your 21-year-old self? Right. And that question started irritating me so much yeah, yeah, yeah. because of that. Does, does no one realize yeah. that everyone asks the same question? So I thought, why not write a book answering that question? Right. This, is, this book is about what I would tell my 21, my 25-year-old self. But the reality is that your 21-year-old self wouldn't have even listened to you. <laughs> like people ask, I think it's one of the worst questions that anyone can ever ask. And I've asked it to myself forever, but it's like, no, 22 year old Aaron knew everything in the world. And, and it doesn't, you got a 2000 year old person 
couldn't tell me what to do. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, it's can you can you adopt humility and and teachability early on? Mm-hmm. The earlier you can figure out you don't know anything, it seems <laughs> like that is the, that's where you're most <laughs> successful, right? Yeah. yeah. So it definitely the book does not have a preachy tone. Because okay. you can't preach to a twenty-five-year-old that he completely turns you off. Right. It's more. It's more reflective, right? Going. This yeah. is. This is like. This is a guide backwards. Yeah. Or uh, or how to accelerate your life forward. Okay. Because these are the things that if I had picked up just a little bit earlier, I would have been able to move my life forward faster in the direction I wanted to go. Okay. And so these are um, what do you call it? Cheat codes. Okay. Oh, that's what I should life just call hacks. Oh, dang. That's what I just should call it. Life hacks. Yeah. No, it's definitely, I'm sure there's a zillion <laughs> books called Life Hacks. Or Cheat Codes. All is equally like is. Bad. Bad. Is there, there's a big book called Cheat Codes, isn't it? No, or Life Hacks. I don't know. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. No, I like the title of your book. We're not saying it on this podcast, but I actually really like the title. But, you, you know, the writing process is a really kind of uh, interesting process when you talk about, um, rest yeah because when you're writing you don't rest right because you write in your head you do not write with a pen you do not write with a computer you do not write with your fingers you write with your brain yeah <laughs> and your brain once you're in that writing mode never stops hmm. and and in fact if anything while you're asleep your brain is writing the next chapter for you, doing a lot of work. It's, it's, and uh, yeah. it's running ahead of you, preparing yeah. you for the next day, which I love. Yeah. And, but it's also super energizing when I, when I start writing and then I, I see a sentence that I go, Oh, wow. That, I mean, there are, there are sentences you, 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 you write, so but they, about. but they write to you. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the way it's said. I love the insight. It opens up. I love the way it changes the way I see, um, reality uh you just find yourself in the zone and it's just becomes so much fun and it becomes like play and and it's incredibly energizing and time it it, it becomes a irrelevant construct because you're no longer in time you're just you're just in flow and you're, you're just enjoying yeah. yourself and um and all of a sudden you have thousands of words that's amazing but there's also the other side of it where you have not thousands of words not hundreds of words not tens yeah. of words you just have word <laughs> yeah and, uh, what do you do on the days you can't write um well i count sitting looking at the screen as writing time <laughs> okay where you're not yeah. or then i just get up and i go i get on you know the electric bike and i take off or yeah. i just um i just will no but that's not what i'm asking i'm asking what do you how do you get yourself to write yeah what you do is you disconnect your brain from okay. the writing process. Okay. Because usually what happens when you can't write is you don't like your next thought. Hmm. And so there's a couple of ways to break through that. I, like, I don't really believe that there's, um, what's that phrase, um, writer's block? Okay. I don't believe in writer's block. I think there's, what happens is that you're not blocked, you're unimpressed with your own idea. <laughs> okay. And so what I do if I have, quote, writer's block is I just write bad. Hmm. And I always tell people, look, to be a good writer, you have to be willing to be a bad writer. And you can't, you can't edit yourself. You mm. just have to have the free flow of thought. And so I'll just think to myself, okay, right now all I have is bad writing. Mm. But I got to get that bad writing out so I can get to the good writing. Mm. 
And, uh, and so I, I'll either just push my way through by writing badly. So interesting. And or I'll um, turn it off and go do something else that takes my mind completely off of it, which allows my, I think, my subconscious to begin to solve the problems that my conscious mind cannot solve. Hmm. And then when I come back at it again, it feels like I got some help from right. somewhere in the deep recesses of the universe of my yeah. mind. So um, a part of me said, hey, I think I know how to solve this problem. I think I know how to say this. Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. And it, it, what it does, too, is it allows you to access parts of your own mind that would have been left untapped hmm. if you were not fighting through the block. Hmm. Hmm. What's the longest you've gone? What was the most difficult book to write? Well, it's it's interesting. I don't know what the most difficult book was. It Genius of Jesus because you were you were so that would have to have been the most difficult book I've ever written. I wrote it during the pandemic. Um, I didn't feel like I could write it. Okay. I gave up three times. Okay, and um, I was I was nervous about writing about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that that one that one affected me. Yeah, the most I think in yeah. that way. What um when does this book come out? Do you know. I have no idea. No idea. Soon? No, not <laughs> no. soon, huh? It takes them a year. My deadline is September 1, so everybody's listening. September 1 this year. Yeah, throw out a prayer for me because I got two weeks to finish this book. Okay. And and then... You're pretty uh, close, though. Um, I'm getting there. Getting okay. There. And okay, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll hit the deadline. Okay. I, I I have a very love-hate relationship with deadlines. I love... I actually love deadlines. They create the crisis I need. <laughs> and... Uh, um, yeah, there are, there are some pretty brilliant writers who basically say that writers need procrastination to be great. Interesting. That that the part the process of procrastination is a part of the mental construct of getting yourself to that creative space. And um, so I I think the pressure cooker of a deadline is something I need. Other people may not need it. Yeah. Like you've said to me, hey dad, why don't you just write even when you don't have a contract? Yeah, I find that almost impossible. Like, so interesting. Yeah, I, I just I, that isn't the reality for most people. But you <laughs> used to at some point in your career, you used to write before you had contract. No, not really. Yeah, for sure you did. Yeah, that one book that you lost on that computer that crashed, like like twenty five years ago. Remember? I don't remember. Or you were writing a a page of fiction and a page <gasps> of nonfiction. Oh, it's so true. I yeah, forgot you used to about write all that. The time. That was a really great book. Dang. I know. I know. What I did is uh, the page on the left was written as fiction. No, as nonfiction. The page on the right was written as fiction. Okay. And so on the on the left, I wrote the the thinking, the logical process for this idea. On the right, I was writing a novel with characters that lived out what I was writing on the left side. And I had gone pretty far. It was a very, com very complex and um, book that in a genre and a style that has never been um, created in the world. So I thought it was pretty cool. So you can't write without a contract. <laughs> I find that, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> well, in the practical level, okay. economically, I was always a writer first. Right. Because it's what paid for our lives. It's, it's my career. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's not so much I can't write without a contract is that we couldn't eat without an income. <laughs> and so the 
contract was the promise that we could pay the mortgage, that we could uh, pay, the, we could buy meals for you guys right. as kids. Yeah, and so the, there was a practical aspect where I saw writing as my job. Yeah. It was my career. It was yeah, my yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you guys, is there anything else we should talk about? Brooke, you got any questions? It's been a You're episode. a writer. Yeah, you are a writer, Brooke. <laughs> I remember, what'd you do with that sci-fi script I read like 10 years ago? Literally nothing. The script was not what it needed to be, and the script was better left um, retired for better things. Okay. So, Brooke, how many... How many um, like publishers or editors, did you let read that script? Okay, I'm sensing a teaching situation incoming. <laughs> and I did give the script to a couple producers that I knew. Uh huh. And I had great conversations about it. I made edits on it. But I think in its essence, it was for a market that became oversaturated and it just wasn't going to go for it, like the, the central premise. So I moved from that script into different genres. Because, Aaron, you read one of hers. You said she was a really good writer. I did. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Aaron. I don't remember it. That's for the best. But it was also, I read it eight years ago. Yeah, it was a long time. It yeah. was a long time ago. And so, Brooke, let's say you had that story. Mm -hmm. And so it's not the script for 100 million people. Well, that's the issue is that I tried to write a script for a hundred million people yeah. and the hundred million people had, um, weren't, weren't ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is that you, you killed something that maybe would have been really refreshing, enjoyable and life-giving to a hundred people. That's true. But then how do you produce that? The movies aren't made for a hundred people. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you make that for a hundred people? That's what Netflix did. And they are. Going broke. Yeah. No, no. You see, this is okay. Um, no, there's no way you dig yourself out of this one. <laughs> no, no. 100 people don't make money from films. So you want to yeah. bump it up to 1,000? No, I, I thought you were an artist. I'm not. No, and I'm a sellout. I want to be super <laughs> I'm about giving those numbers. Artists don't create for the money. They create for the beauty, for the meaning but the story they have to tell. Oh, you thought Brooke was an artist. Yeah. But you, no, but you just said you wrote so you could pay the mortgage. I did, but I wrote what I needed to create. Like I only signed contracts when I knew I had a book I had to write and give to the world. But so, I didn't know how many people would buy it. I wrote what I needed to write and which would drive my publisher crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they would literally look at me and say, where's the me hook? <laughs> yeah. We need a me hook in your book. Yeah. And I go, and I said, I'm, I wrote what I feel like people need. And you want me to write what people want. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to write what people need until they want what they need. <laughs> and hmm. my whole point, Brooke, is like, I think it's Paul Young. I think it's his name who wrote The Shack. And um, I got to um, meet him years ago and, and yeah. develop a relationship. And he was talking about how- William Young, sorry. I'm, is it, he does, it's not Paul? No, it says William P. Young. He oh, wrote the William show. William Paul Young, yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. His street, on the street's name is Paul. <laughs> on, but on the shelf's name is William. Sorry, keep going. No, uh, is the P of uh, Paul? On, on the original books, it was W.M. Paul Young. 
Oh, so I was right. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, maybe yeah, it's, it's a little confusing because when you when you when you actually get his Google, it's yeah. William P, and when you see the look of the book, it's WMP. Yeah, that, I I knew that book because I, I know Paul. <laughs> 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 and, uh, um, and he was talking about how he wrote the shack for his, I think his grandkids. Okay. And he went over to like a Kinko's <laughs> and made enough copies to give it to them for Christmas. Okay. And so he didn't write the shack that sold to millions and millions and millions of people for those millions. He wrote it for his grandkids to give them a story of hope and healing. Okay. And I, I think sometimes artists underestimate this is just my point what they've created because the filter to getting your work to the world is usually a publisher or a marketer that is deciding whether it will sell and you're never going to get your voice out there to who it needs to be heard by if you make the first line of thinking, will this sell? Hmm. I think the first line you're thinking is, is this the message I want to tell? Yeah. And then you have to believe in your voice, even when other people don't. Hmm. So that's just, that's just my thought, Brooke. But Thank you, Pastor. Bring back the script. Bring back. Well, you know, I think at the end, <laughs> it wasn't the story I was, I was should have told. All right. Okay. Well, I can accept that. I love that. <laughs> and, All uh, right. Yeah. yeah, you know, one of my regrets is that when I was around uh, 10, 11 years old, I wrote an immense number of short stories. Hmm. And, but I didn't have a sense of my own value or voice. I would write stories and then bury them. Hmm. Literally? Yeah, literally, like physically. Hmm. And uh, I would write stories and, um, and then I would destroy them. And but I wrote so many short stories because one of my heroes was Rod Sterling from um, The Twilight Zone and Night Gallery. And, and so I just, and I wish, if I could have anything back, I wish I could reclaim all those stories I wrote when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm. And I, I think probably there was more genius in some of those than anything I've ever written. Mm. So never underestimate the, the, the seminal idea that caused you to write a story or to create something. That's amazing. I love it. Hey, well, this has been a different episode. Yeah. Kind of just breaking down a conversation around writing, which I think is, I think is cool. And I think it's necessary. And I, it's crazy because, you know, like I know that my mother's out of town this week. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped by your house last night and we, we grilled real quick and you were just writing the entire day. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so funny because, you know, from the outside looking in, it can look like you're not working very hard. You know, because you're sitting a lot, you're or you're pacing a lot, or you're walking around, or you're scootering, or you know, mm -hmm. it's in like what's this, what's this man doing? <laughs> but I know because I, you know, I get the chapters. You email me the chapters, and I'm looking forward to reading them. And and I know that you pour a lot of what you have been um, contemplating and discussing internally, and creating internally, and imagining internally for the last year two years sometimes decades mm -hmm. it comes out to these pages and it's you kind of having to um like recall and put them to paper mm -hmm. which is really interesting to watch yeah so if you're friends with an artist or you're <laughs> born of an artist <laughs> I, you, you definitely it's it's a it's a it looks like it's a wrestler experience but i know that it, there's a lot of hustle involved 
which is always an interesting thing. Yeah, and I think that's a part of it too, is that we just have to realize that everything that is created in the world that has value, someone lost sleep, hmm. someone lost free time, mm -hmm. someone lost um, energy mm -hmm. and made a contribution, a sacrifice to create something. And so even going back to earlier thing about rest and, you know, and hustle a little bit, we we're talking about that a bit. I, I hope that you get all the rest you need to be healthy. Hmm. But I hope there's something inside of you that when you wake up in the morning, you have to do. Hmm. Like something that drives you, something that, that gives you life. Hmm. And, and yeah, even consumes you. Hmm. And, and, you know, may, maybe a part of the challenge of this is that um, everyone's trying to figure out how to get healthy. And I just want to be most alive. And I think that when you're most alive, you didn't, you don't lose your quirkiness. There's still things about you that are imperfect. And, and, um, and I, and it's, it's almost as if we want our life to be still water. We don't, we want no ripples. We want it to be able to see clearly through, but I want to be like, like a rapid. Yeah. You know, I, I want to have motion and move forward and have power and strength and direction and intention. And when you're looking at the rapids, they're like furious on the surface. But when you go deep, there's a stillness there. Yeah. I want to have a stillness in the depth of my soul. And I want to have a hustle that is consumed to create something beautiful and meaningful with my life. Yeah. Well, I love it. So, you know, find some rest, but then get rowdy afterwards. <laughs> um, thank you guys for listening to this podcast. If you're listening, we want you to rate and review this podcast. We want to thank you guys for being a part of it. We also want you to be a part of letting other people know that this thing exists. So if you don't mind, go to Spotify and go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review this wherever you guys listen to podcasts. Um, we're so grateful. We're also on YouTube. So if mm -hmm. you want to look at us, we're on YouTube. And Check by the out. way, you can hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. Oh. And by the way, what? Yeah. If you want to learn more about writing, pick up the art of communication. Yeah. And it's uh, as effective for um, communicating through words and as, um, that are spoken and words that are written. Yeah. And, and this month, I'm just going to say, it's my birthday. Yeah. It's your birthday. We're going to do a little special for art of communication, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not, I just, not discounting it, but we're going to do some kind of no. event. No, if uh, I just decided last minute yeah. that anyone who buys the Art of Communication by August 31, my birthday is on the 28th, yeah. uh, I'm going to do a special thing for all of them in September. Mm -hmm. And and so um, we'll decide what that looks like. It'll be some kind of live thing on Zoom. Yeah. And um, so I just want to encourage you guys, if you've been thinking about doing it, this is a great time to do it right now. My birthday gift to me is to um, get this message out, get this message out and spend time with those who um, dive in uh, with us. And if you don't know what the art of communication is, it's a 15 hour masterclass course on communication. The mm -hmm. first five to seven hours are you really breaking down kind of the ideology and the, the I guess the communication theory of what the Philosophy, tools you kind yeah. of need. And then we go into like a toolkit of the toolbox of your communication style and all the things you need to do. And then we have another like 10 hours of Q&A and conversation mm -hmm. and you kind of did live um, 
a live participation side of that and that's uploaded and everyone gets access to it. So go and check it out, artofcommunication.org. Theartofcommunication.org with the, the, the. T-H-E. All right, love you guys. We will see you soon. All right, have a great week.